And now here's another timely yet timeless word from the Word of God from one of our services at First Baptist Church of Crawfordville. All right, if you get your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. Now this is coming from uh, part of the Christmas story. But the sermon's going to take a little bit, I don't know, kind of like uh, title last week. He said, you know, we, we look at things all, all, you know, every Christmas. We look at Christmas passages, which is good. We need to do that. Um, is that better? There. All right. Uh, it, but, and, and this is, this is coming from what's known as the Magnificat. Okay, and we'll talk about that in just a minute. But it's just Mary's song. Okay, she's meeting with Elizabeth. And um, she breaks out uh, into this song. So if you're able and you will, would you please stand with me for the reading of uh, God's Word here. We're going to begin in Luke chapter 1, verse 46. And it says, And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold... From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in their thoughts of their heart. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we are grateful for just your word, a chance to dive in and and see what you've got for us. And Lord, we understand that we need your Holy Spirit to do his work in our hearts, uh, Father, as we consider your word. I pray that you would speak that truth into our hearts, Lord, that we would see what it means to receive good things from you. Father, we've received the ultimate gift in Jesus, and we give you praise and glory for that. And it's in his name that we pray, amen. All right, you may be seated. Well, we all need and want God's blessings, don't we? We all want to receive good things from God. He made us. He alone knows what we need most. Now, as a loving father, he delights uh, to give his children the best gifts, right? There's no shortage on his part. So when he gives a gift, he gives the best. But he doesn't give his gifts indiscriminately. Both in the Bible and in our own experience, we see that some receive the blessings of God while others get nothing. So we would do well to understand clearly how to receive those good things from God so that we're not among those who miss out on the best gift of all, right? We've already mentioned twice, we might as well make a threesome. Uh, John three sixteen: for God so loved the world that he what? Gave. It's a gift. Jesus is a gift to us. Well, the Virgin Mary, she was a a young woman who was uniquely blessed by God. 
in reference to her being chosen to be the mother of the Messiah, uh, she exclaimed, for behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Now, what a great thing to know that future generations are going to call you blessed simply because God, the great one, has done great things for you. Now, in Mary's song, it's called the Magnificat, and that's, that's simply taken from the first word in the Latin version of this, okay? Um, she tells us how to receive God's blessings. Now, in another message, I've covered the entire song. Matter of fact, I've done that a couple times since I've been here. This is a kind of traditional thing that, that you tend to cover at some point. Today, I'm only going to be using verse 53, and it says, He has filled the hungry with good things. And the rich he has sent away uh, empty. Now, this verse tells us how to receive good things from God. And the truth is, God satisfies the spiritually hungry with good things, but he sends the self-satisfied away empty-handed. Now, this is a basic spiritual principle that runs throughout uh, Scripture. It's often expressed as God exalting the humble and humbling the proud. Now, dozens of verses emphasize this truth, but I just want to look at a few. Mary's song is similar to Hannah's song. I've actually used Hannah's song at Christmas before because it is so much like Mary's song. Now, this expresses Hannah's praise to God for answering her prayer to have a son. You remember, she, she, she was barren. Um, God wanted to give Hannah a son because Israel needed a prophet to speak God's word to his people. Now, Hannah's rival, her husband's other wife, Penina, she had many sons and daughters, but Hannah was barren because God had closed her womb. Now, Closing Hannah's womb, that may seem like a strange way for God to provide a son. Yet, that's often how God works. If you'll remember, he promised Abraham and Sarah a, a son, a son of promise. They already had Ishmael, and then they waited 13 years until they were well past the child-bearing years, and he gave them Isaac. Now, the principle is that God brings us to the end of ourselves. It's when we lose our proud confidence in our own ability that we finally turn to the Lord. And it's when we turn to Him, and He's our only option, that yes, that's when He responds. So, we cast ourselves completely on the Lord, and He provides for us to show us His grace. Now, uh, 1 Samuel 2, 5-7, through 7, which is part of Hannah's song, it expresses this theme. It says, those who were full hire themselves out for bread. Sounds like they're not full anymore. Those who, those who were hungry cease to hunger. Okay? Even the barren gives birth to seven. But she who has many children languishes. The Lord kills and makes alive. The Lord brings down to Sheol, and he raises up. The Lord makes poor and rich. He brings low, and he also exalts. Now, that same theme, theme governs Psalm 107. Psalm 107 shows us four vignettes of people that God put in impossible situations so that they would come to the end of themselves. They would call out to God, 
And then they would praise him for his loving kindness in delivering them. Now, in the first line of our text, Mary cites from Psalm 107, it's verse 9. And there it says, For he has satisfied the thirsty soul, and the hungry soul he has filled with what is good. And that's what she quotes, the second part there. Now, Jesus taught the same truth in the Beatitudes. Do you remember where it said that those who mourn would be comforted? That the hungry would be filled? That the meek would inherit the earth? Paul expressed the same principle when he said, when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul's weakness forced him to rely on God's strength. Now, the reason that I emphasize this at the outset is that it really runs counter to what most people think, that God helps those who help themselves. Does anybody know where that's located in the Bible? Huh? Not there. Thank you. Some of you are biblically literate. I hope most of you are. It's not in there, right? That is based on human pride. It runs counter to the biblical principle that God helps those that come to the end of themselves and then cast themselves upon him. That's when he helps. I often hear and read the, the popular view that you've got to believe in yourself to succeed. And sadly, many Christians buy into this false idea. But the scripture, it pointedly states in Jeremiah 17, verse 5, Cursed is the man who trusts in mankind and makes flesh his strength and whose heart turns away from the Lord. Do you know that when you believe in yourself, that's actually turning away from trusting in the Lord? Now, trusting in God doesn't mean that we sit around and do nothing. But it does mean that before we do anything... We must recognize our own inability and rely on God for his grace and strength so that he gets the glory. That's the principle Mary expresses here in Luke 1.53. So I want to look at the first half of, of, of the verse. He has filled the hungry with good things. And that's our first major point. God satisfies the spiritually hungry with good things. Now, Mary's not speaking primarily of physical or uh, physical hunger or even riches. Metaphorically, she is making a contrast between the spiritually hungry and the spiritually rich or the self-satisfied. Mary clearly saw herself as spiritually needy. She wasn't born without sin. She recognized God as her Savior, implying that, yes, she was a sinner. And God didn't choose Mary to bear his son uh, because she was without sin. She mentions her own humble estate and God's mercy. Mary was a spiritually hungry woman that God had sovereignly blessed because of his mercy. Now, I want you to note four things here. A, the ones that God satisfies are marked by spiritual hunger. That's the qualification to receive from God is to be spiritually hungry. You remember Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be satisfied, they shall be filled. A righteousness, that refers to God's holiness as personified in Jesus. Now, in reference to the Christian, it refers both to justification, that's to be be declared righteous before God. That happens the moment we believe. It also refers to sanctification. That's to live righteously before God. And that's, that's something that's progressive over a lifetime, and, and we never perfect it. We never complete it until we're in his presence in heaven. 
Now, Jesus was referring to the needy person who has a, just a really deep sense um, of his neediness, a deep desire to be like God, to live a holy life in thought, in word, and in deed. That person will be satisfied. Now, there are many people, even professing uh, Christians, who desire happiness, but not righteousness. If God, can not, if God can make them happy, fine, they'll follow him. But if not, they'll look elsewhere. Now, I've known professing Christians who walk out on their marriages or get involved in immorality because they're seeking happiness and not righteousness. They're grabbing momentary happiness wherever they can find it, but they're forsaking God who alone can satisfy their hunger for all time and all eternity. Commenting on those who hunger for and thirst for righteousness. Here's what Martin Lloyd, do you all know who Martin Lloyd-Jones is? I quote him fairly often. He's, one of, he's considered probably the best preacher of the 20th century. He was in England. He's still got stuff available. You, can, you just go on to YouTube, type in Martin Lloyd-Jones sermon. You won't see him. <laughs> he, was in, he was in the middle of the century, but you'll hear him. Anyway, here's what Martin Lloyd-Jones says about those who hunger and thirst for right, righteousness. He says, I do not know of a better test that anyone can apply to himself in the whole matter of the Christian profession than a verse like this. If this verse is to you one of the most blessed statements of the whole of Scripture, you can be quite certain that you are a Christian. That's a long way of saying, if you hunger and thirst after God, you're probably a Christian. Trust me, the world does not hunger and thirst after God. They deny God at all points. And he says, if it is not, in other words, if you're not hungry and thirsty after God, after his righteousness, then you had better examine the foundations again. Now, of course, every true child of God is aware of the many shortcomings in this regard. We're all easily led astray by our selfishness that just dwells within our hearts. It's something that we have to fight constantly and continuously. But if the pattern of our lives is that we violate God's holy law to pursue happiness through sin, then we may be fooling ourselves to call ourselves Christians. Mary says that God fills the hungry with good things. To be hungry is to be aware that you have a desperate need. Uh, relieving hunger, it's not a luxury. It's a matter of survival. Now, probably none of us have ever faced physical starvation. But star starving people, they're not interested in new smartphones or computers unless they can somehow sell them to be able to get food, to buy food. Hungry people have one focus, where to find food. It consumes their whole existence from the time they wake up in the morning to the time they go to bed at night. They need food. Do you understand that's how we should hunger for God? Do you feel desperate to have your sins forgiven and to come to know God? If you've had your sins forgiven at the cross, do you now sense that whatever else in life you have, you must know God? The ones God satisfies are marked by that kind of spiritual hunger. Will be God alone can satisfy that hunger. The he there in verse 53 is God. He alone is able to meet our deepest needs. 
He made us. He understands us thoroughly. He alone can meet the deepest needs of every human heart. So if we recognize our hunger, we must seek God to fill it. David knew this. King David. Well, he wasn't king yet. Where he may have been. We're not sure. He was in the Judean wilderness. He was running from his life, either from King Saul, this would be before David was king, or he's running from Absalom, his son, who's trying to, 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 to turn, what's it called, a coup, uh, try to take over the kingdom, okay? But uh, he, he, he's in rebellion against his father. But David's in the wilderness, and if I were in that situation, I probably wouldn't be writing songs. I'm not much of a songwriter anyway. And if I would, it'd probably be something like, oh, Lord, get me out of here, quick, right? But just at such a time, David wrote Psalm 63. Here's verse 1. Oh God, you are my God. I shall seek you earnestly. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Now, as he seeks God there in that barren wilderness with his enemies in hot pursuit, David exults in verse 5. He says, my soul is satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth offers praise with joyful lips. David knew what it meant to be satisfied with God alone, even though his life and his kingdom were threatened with extinction. Beware of seeking satisfaction apart from Jesus Christ. Satan offers all sorts of subtle temptations that seem to fulfill your needs, but they're not centered in Christ. They do satisfy temporarily. Bible tells us that sin is fun for a season, right? It satisfies temporarily, but ultimately, they do not nourish. The one who fills up on them is going to starve. It's as if you come to me and you're physically hungry and you're coming to me for food and now suppose that I had perfected a process of just infusing the taste of steak and potatoes into cardboard. It tastes great, but it's nutritionally worthless. If you ate it, you would enjoy the taste and it might fill up your stomach, but in the end, you're going to starve to death. You're going to die. That's what happens to anyone who seeks to be satisfied with anything other than God. You will starve to death. Well, we've seen that the ones God satisfies are marked by spiritual hunger. We've also seen that God alone can satisfy that hunger. Well, third, see, God satisfies the hungry. Here, I'm focusing on the word filled. It's in the past tense because uh, Mary is quoting from Psalm 107.9. It looks at how God has met the needs of those who have called out to him. It points to his really characteristic way of dealing with all who seek him. He satisfies them or he fills them full. It means that God doesn't just give partially. He meets our needs fully. It's the same words that used in the feeding of the 5,000 where it says that everyone was filled. Same word. So filled, they picked up 12 baskets full of leftovers. Everyone ate until they were satisfied. Now, that's a feeling that many of us can identify with at this season of the year. We eat too much, don't we? Now, there's a sense. Look, he's shaking his head. No, never eat too much. Wait till you get older, dude. 
Now, of course, there's a sense in which we are both satisfied and yet still hungry in Christ. We who have tasted of God's banquet in Christ, we are satisfied in the sense that the longing of our soul has been met. Our sins are forgiven. We enjoy peace with God. We have the joy of the Holy Spirit. We're ready to meet the Lord. That's a, that's, that's a blessed thing. In all of that, and in much more, we are satisfied. However, in, in another sense, as long as we're in this body, we'll be hungry and thirsting to know more of God, to experience more of what He has provided for us in Christ. And since God is infinite, we can never exhaust the delight of knowing Him. Paul talks about this in Ephesians 2, 6, and 7. Here's what he says. God raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So God raised us up and seated us up in the heavenly places with him in Christ Jesus so that, here's the reason why, here's the purpose, so that in the coming ages, now that word ages is the word eon, so that in the coming eons, we're talking about forever, y'all, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. That's a lot of words, but here's what it means. We will never fully understand nor fully appreciate the cross. We will ever be growing in that aspect of understanding and, and, and seeing and embracing the gospel. It will keep us enthralled for eternity. Well, D, God satisfies the hungry with good things. He satisfies the hungry with good things, not with Twinkies or Little Debbie cakes, which are some of my favorites. God fills you with himself, the source of all that is good. Now, the good things of our text, that don't, doesn't refer to what our, societies calls, our society calls the good life. Mary wasn't referring to uh, material prosperity. She wasn't referring to a life of freedom from suffering or to a feeling of self-fulfillment. She wasn't preaching the prosperity gospel. She was referring to the satisfaction of the soul in God himself. And that transcends all circumstances. It's like David being chased in the, in the wilderness. Lord, I long for you. I long for you even though his life is in jeopardy. Do you understand that God is the ultimate good thing? Many years ago, there was a great shah in Persia, and he loved his people. And to understand them more clearly, he would mingle with them in various disguises so they wouldn't know who he was. One day, he goes to the public baths, and he's dressed as a poor man, and he makes his way down to a tiny cellar, and he sits down beside the man who, attend, who tends the furnace. He talked with that lonely man as a friend, and at mealtime, he ate some of his coarse food. In the weeks that followed, he, he visited the poor man often until the man came to love him. Then one day, the Shah revealed his true identity to the poor man. The Shah waited, expecting the man to ask uh, for some favor or a gift. But the commoner, he simply gazed in astonishment. And finally said, you left your palace and all of your glory to sit with me in this dark place, to partake of my coarse food, to care whether my heart was glad or heavy. 
On others, you may, you may bestow your great riches, but to me you have given a much greater gift, yourself. I only ask that you never withdraw the gift of your friendship. Well, folks, friendship with God in Jesus Christ is what truly satisfies the soul. Mary affirms that God fills or satisfies the hungry soul with good things, namely, the ultimate good thing of knowing Him. Now, I want to look briefly at the second half of the verse, uh, which is major point number two. God sends the self-satisfied away empty-handed. And Mary says, uh, he sent the rich away empty. That's, that's kind of startling. It's a shocking reversal of the natural order. In this world, the rich are the full and the poor are the hungry. But in God's order, the rich are the empty and the hungry are the full. I want you to notice three things. A, God sends away the self-satisfied. Now, by rich, Mary means those who have no felt needs from before God. Now, she could have had in mind those uh, proud and, and self-proclaimed spiritual leaders of Israel in her day. When God picked a family for the Messiah to be born in, he didn't choose the chief priest or one of the leading rabbis. He went to a poor, unknown carpenter and his wife in Nazareth. What good comes out of Nazareth, right? Those in Jerusalem who thought that they were the spiritually rich, yeah, they were overlooked. The surest way to, this, this may be one of the most important things I say. Every time I read this, I go, that's good. The surest way to receive nothing from God is to be satisfied with where you're at. You want to stop receiving from God? Be satisfied with yourself where you're at. The Pharisees didn't see themselves as needy sinners before God. They saw themselves as righteous because of their good works. They saw themselves as better than the sinners, but they didn't see themselves as God saw them. They were proud in the thoughts of their heart, Mary says, and their pride blinded them to their true spiritual condition. The church of Laodicea, you remember them from Revelation uh, chapter 3? They were like that. They had become lukewarm and complacent about spiritual things. There go, ergo, the, the lukewarmness. Their view of themselves was, I am rich, and I have become wealthy, and I have need of nothing. But that's not how God describes them. He says, you are wretched, and miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. How would you describe yourself spiritually? God sends away the self-satisfied who don't see their true need for him. Well, B, God actively sends them away. This is, this is startling. It, the text doesn't say that God simply ignores the rich or that he gives them nothing. It says that he actively sends them away. What a frightening thought that God would send a person away. Now, you may wonder, why would God do this? Doesn't he want everyone to come to him? yes but they must come on God's terms, not on their own terms. Years ago, a Newsweek cover story reported on the baby boomers who were coming back into church now that they realized they wanted some religious values for their children. The article made it clear that these self-confident people are coming to God on their terms, not on His. They don't convert, they choose. 
the article said. They want to know what's in it for me. They're picky consumers shopping for churches that they like that offer services that they want. The message to the churches is, if you want to grow, you'd better cater to the customer's needs. But folks, you can only come to the living God on his terms or not at all. His terms are that you recognize your sin. That you recognize that you cannot save yourself. You must see yourself as hungry and starving unless God intervenes. We're getting one filled over there. Love it. You see, God isn't in the business of of working out deals with self-confident young urban professionals. He actively sends the proud away. And see, God sends them away empty-handed. What despair to be sent away from God, sent away by God, empty. If God sends sends you away empty-handed, can you agree with me that you have absolutely nothing? Paul expresses the same truth. He says that such people have no hope and are without God in the world. What good are material riches in this life if you spend eternity in that place that Jesus describes as unquenchable fire where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched? What good is passing pleasure or an illicit romance in this life if you spend eternity in the place that Jesus described as outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth? The worst thing that could happen to anyone is to be full of the passing pleasures of this world, but yet stand before God at the judgment empty-handed. So what's the solution? How can we avoid having God send us away empty-handed? Here's another great quote, but this one's got a person, D.L. Moody. Remember him? He said, Christ sends none away empty but those who are full of themselves. God sends none away empty except those who are full of themselves. To the church at Laodicea, God said that they needed to see their true condition and as he saw them and to repent, to turn from their sins and turn to him. It was to that same church that Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and dine with him and he with me. Here's the best part. He brings the dinner. We talked about that just a few weeks ago. He will truly satisfy the hunger of anyone who acknowledges his true spiritual need and who seeks him. Don't seek happiness or fulfillment or pleasure in the things of this world. Seek God. Hunger after God and His righteousness, and He promises that He will fill you with good things. Let's pray. Father, there's not a person in here who would not want a good thing from your hand. But Father, in our pride, uh, we we won't come to you like you want us to. In humility, Father, not bringing anything of ourselves. Father, recognizing our desperate need for a Savior. God, when we come like that, you answer in abundance. You give us your son, Jesus Christ. 
It's at this time of the year when we're just so cognizant of this perfect gift that you gave. So God, I pray that you would do a work in our hearts, Father, that would draw us close to you in this season as we think about what the incarnation means, the reason that you sent Jesus. So God, do that work in our hearts and we'll give you praise for it. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Some of you out there can testify to this. Uh, you, you came to the Lord later in life as an adult. And you finally got to a place where you realized everything that I'm doing, that I've tried, has not led to any fulfillment, satisfaction, true, lasting happiness, none of that. I've tried what the world offers and it doesn't work. And at, at the right time, somebody shared the gospel with you or you read a track or something, God opened your eyes and you turned to him. Have you never been the same since? There are some of you out there sitting this morning who are in that condition. You've tried the world and you found that, yes, in the end, it is lacking. C.S. Lewis says that we have a God-shaped void in our being, in our soul, in our heart. It's God-shaped. And we try to stuff everything in the world in there to, to fill it up, and it doesn't work. Only God can fill that God-shaped void. If that's where you're at in your life this morning, I encourage you, throw that world away and say, God, I come just as I am. You don't have to do anything to prepare. You come like you are. Jesus will do that work in your heart, and he will fill your heart with the Holy Spirit, with his presence, with joy, with happiness like you've never known. If you've been disappointed in this world, you, more than anybody right now, know you need God. I encourage you to do that this morning. Don't pass it by. If you're a believer, we still get tempted by the world, don't we? Oh, my. There's so many things that grab our attention and say, oh, this will make you happy. This will make you happy. This will make you happy. And so you indulge, and you find out, yeah, really didn't make me happy. Right? I've got lots of things in my life that, that in my life that I've noticed over time. Finally, I've come to the realization, yep, it's not in chasing that, it's not in chasing that, not in chasing that. It's in chasing God. I want to encourage you as a believer, look at your life. Are you hungering and thirsting after righteousness? Are you hungry for God? If you're not, you need, need to examine your heart. Because his design for us is, to be, is for us to be hungry for him. And in that hunger, he meets our needs, and we praise him. We talked about this just a couple weeks ago. Remember how praise, thanksgiving, that's what glorifies God most? He'll give you that opportunity if you'll just simply humble, humble yourself and follow hard after him. I encourage you to do that if you're a believer this morning. Thank you for joining us for this podcast from First Baptist Church of Crawfordville. You can find more information and follow us on Facebook or visit our website, CrawfordvilleFBC.com.